you do the right thing and you say yes as often as you can. Yeah. And treat people nice and thank them accordingly every donation. I don't care if it's $5, 500, 1000, it's the same big thank you. This is not your mother's middle age. No longer is waking up each day, living the wash, rinse, and repeat cycle acceptable. We have the life lessons, the relationships, the wins, and the losses with which to navigate to our highest self without hesitation and without fear leading the way. We have been there and done that, and so we have so much to offer the world and each other. So join me on this journey speaking to ordinary women doing extraordinary things for new insights, new ideas, new medical breakthroughs, and new life lessons. You will be inspired to find your best life here and now. My name is Wendy Charles McGuire, and this is your Second Wind Podcast. Well, here we are at Second Wind, the podcast, another wonderful episode. And I have a fabulous lady that we're speaking to. Her name is Robin Budin. She's a wife. She's a mother, a daughter, a sister, and a true animal advocate. You may know her as Robin Budin, Unchain America. Her story of taking chained, penned, caged, strayed, abandoned dogs and rehabilitating them medically, emotionally, to get them to learn how to live inside a house, to eventually find their forever home and be part of a family. And that has become her life's mission. Her story and her drive were incredible. And I'm so grateful to you, Robin, for sharing your time with us today. So welcome to Second Wind, Robin. Hi, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. This is an exciting time for me. I This will be my first biography or uh, <laughs> autobiography, te- you know, starting- well, storytelling of yourself. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of cool as long as my brain remembers everything, but I will do my best. Oh, I'm sure you will do fine. Let's start with your story and we'll start with what we're going to do is I'm going to ask you what that moment was when you said, I know I need to do something more with your love for saving animals. And then we'll work backwards. Okay, good. Okay. So what happened for me was when I first got married, my first husband told me that children need dogs in their life growing up. He was a psychologist. He's passed. So I knew nothing about dogs. And so I looked in the LA, you know, LA magazine, you look in the back and you find dog trainers and all of, and I spoke to a bunch and the people that I liked told me for a four and six year old, a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel is the absolute uh, best, even tempered, even body with even legs. So there wouldn't be back issues. So I they even gave me the name of the breeder because at that time I wasn't rescuing. So we drove there uh, with my husband at at the time and we got two uh, little puppies. I handed one to each girl and we came up with names. So that's when I knew I needed dogs in my life. Okay. And I sent them for training for a month because I didn't know anything. And I think People that get puppies and have no idea really need to go to Petco or PetSmart or on the phone or local community center because that's how you bond with the dog. So when the trainer came back, he taught me everything Mm -hmm. and I took over. 
And it was funny because within a year, a local friend of mine, I was living in California at the time, had five kids and like four dogs and got an extra Cavalier and called me and asked me to take her. So we did. And I called the people back and sent her for the month because I was still not in training mode or experienced enough. But it was very nice to have three dogs. And then I got divorced. So I left two of the dogs with the ex, and I took the third that was given to us by the friend, uh, Cleopatra. <laughs> and, and we moved to Florida, where my mother, before we walked in the door, said, that dog smelled. Now, mm -hmm. the dog didn't smell. She was five hours in a crate flying across the country from California. You know, give me a break. <laughs> so what happened was we got into an apartment. I was getting divorced and Cleo needed a friend. And my brother had a friend who knew about kittens. And because it was an apartment, you could only have one dog. You could sneak in two kittens. So we went <laughs> to the uh, shelter. They each picked out a kitten. They were spayed and neutered. And so we had a little family to start because I had never heard uh, Cleo cry before Florida when we left her home without anybody because she used to have the other two dogs. Oh, she was lonely. Yeah. So she was friends with the cat and we moved into a house. And so we had two cats and one dog, but I always knew that I wanted a chocolate a Labrador retriever named Hershey. That was, you know, in the books. But because I was not rescuing, I went to a kennel and I asked for the biggest, most beautiful chocolate lab, which you give a $25 deposit. Those places now, you know, are not the same in my mind mm -hmm. at all. But mm -hmm. I got a call a few weeks later from, they had the dog coming from San Francisco and he was very cute, eight weeks old. And I was in my thirties. So that was great, you know floppy, big. Again, I sent him to a local trainer for a month. He lived at her house, learned all the basics, never actually followed them till he was probably two or three because they're just <laughs> big goofballs, you know. But Cleo was fine with him, the, the little cavalier. And then it was my second marriage, the one that should have been a boyfriend. And he was driving home from his mother's and there was a chocolate lab walking in the street and he whistled and she jumped in the car. And so now we had two chocolate labs, a female about four or five at the time, and the male, and Coco was the girl, she knew everything. And the only way I knew that was a babysitter showed me, she'd say, sit, she said, lay down, give me paw. You know, so the dog knew everything, which was really great, because I wouldn't have known at that point. Her, she was too much for Coco. You know, she didn't really become the playmate. But I had a boyfriend at the time who lived up in Massachusetts, and he came to Florida, stayed for a few months, loved all my pets, and went back to Beverly, Massachusetts, and got a puppy pit bull. Sadly, after a year, he passed away, and I called his brother, and I said, send me, when I asked, where's Nikita? That's the dog. And I was already, you know, crying over him and all of that emotional stuff, and I needed to send me that dog. I'll pay. That was in the 90s. And I remember National had a freight. It wasn't any problems. You know, it's not 
all these years later, we hear nightmares. I picked her up at the cargo and mm -hmm. she was about a year old. So she became a perfect playmate for Hershey, who was about three. So Coco didn't have to be bothered. <laughs> but Coco was very, very sweet. I mean, all of them were loving. And I remember one time a guy who had a poodle who lived a block or two away from me said, you must be a really nice person because you have really nice dogs. And mm. I always thought that was, you know, great. Yeah, that is. Well, because I learned how to teach them and then they taught me. Right. And then, you know, one cat got out. We never found her. Another cat died so when my kids came back from summer camp i told them and we went and got two more kittens then i met my boyfriend who's now my husband and this is probably 2001 okay and so he had two cats and he moved in maybe a year after we started dating and the kids were i think 12 and 14 12 and 14 or maybe 13 and 15 you know the good age for kids mm -hmm where they're just so friendly and just want to be with you. Anyway, because I had the pit bull, she was an American Staffordshire Terrier, so she had a, a leaner body and a longer nose. Okay. So when I would walk her and people would say, oh, you know, first they'd pet her and they'd see how nice she is. And I used to say, well, she's a greyhound boxer. Mm -hmm. And then I decided I'm going to start telling the truth because once you have a pit bull, it takes over your life because you want to show everybody that just wonderful dogs. And Nikita was my soulmate dog in the end. When Richard died and I brought her to me, she laid in bed with me. I was in bed eight months. I mean, I couldn't even get from the family room, which was in the kitchen, over to the stove to shut the rice off because I was only making rice for my kids. It was just a mess. You were depressed from her boyfriend dying. Right. Yeah. Because death is final. You can't bring them back. Right. So that's a tough thing. I guess it's one thing to break up, but it's another when it's death. Mm -hmm. And one time I'm laying in bed with Nikita and all of a sudden, and this was early in his death, her blue eyes turned into his blue eyes. And I looked at her and I saw Richard and mm. I thought, wow. And it was lasted, you know, maybe 30 seconds. But she stayed in bed with me until finally I went on an antidepressant because my therapist said, you got to get out of bed. <laughs> yeah. So I started it. I didn't have that two week leeway. It worked the first day. I was out of bed, cooking, doing, getting more involved in pit bulls. You know, I walked all my dogs all the time. And they got plenty of walk because they were big. And then I would go to meetings two or three times a week. And there were uh, young, like 20-something boys that would find pit bulls tied up in 95-degree weather in the backyard of someone's house. Because now you're in Florida, right? In right. I've been, right and now I'm in Florida since 1995. Yeah. That was the boyfriend was alive. He died probably the end of the 1999 i used to know the full dates and so i was in bed for eight months but still walking and being a mother and doing but just other than that fetal position so went on the wellbutrin felt better immediately and then i would go to meetings and these young boys knew i you know i was the dog lady at that point 
uh, just because you had a bunch of dogs, not for any other reason. Right. And because I had a pit bull. And I would always talk about her because she was just amazing. They're just so tuned in. Like Hershey, the lab, he'd give you one lick and go lay down. Coco, I don't even know if I ever got a kiss, but she laid down. She loved to throw the buoy and run in the water. You know, they each had their greatness, but the pit bull was tuned in. And the Cavaliers are too, but I only had one at that time. So these boys are now telling you about these dogs? Right, telling me about dogs in backyards and not great neighborhoods that are tied up or just left in a small backyard, uh, you know, no food, no water, 95 degrees. And can I help? And so they would get the dog. I wasn't involved in that. And I brought them to my vet and I paid with my own money to get the dog whatever they needed. One dog had mange. I even paid for the dog to stay, all pit bulls, stay six weeks at the vet because I didn't know how to take care of a sick dog. I, I, mm. I just wasn't there yet. And then I met some people, I think, through emails, because there's a network of people with dogs. So still in Florida, I met a woman who had a pit bull, who had a who was a lawyer, but she also had a small rescue. And I had a transporter that I knew, and I would pay, find people up north, rescues, and I would send her dogs up north where nobody has a problem taking pit bulls. They were all good dogs. So I did a few of those. And all then because I, these boys basically felt some sort of way when they saw these dogs in these yards chained up. They couldn't up. stand it. They couldn't and stand I, it. They went to you. So they actually kind of, I mean, if we want to say it for what it is, they kind of stole the dogs. Uh, yeah, but I don't. But however they brought However the they dogs, showed up, they showed up. I gotcha. Right. And then I would go to the vet and then leave the dog and then pay the bill and then find a home. And little did I know it was leading up to anything. It started slowly with transporting dogs. I would, I never understood volunteer transports where you hand a dog off every hour and they could go across the country or, you know, wherever they started from Texas and get to Virginia. But, and so I started offering the rescues to pay for a paid transport so the dog could go in one shot. And so I did that for a bunch of rescues that I worked with. I didn't know the dog. I didn't know them. But I knew from the emails I was getting that the dog had to end up over there. So because I didn't understand transport, volunteer transports, and how good they are some of the time, I paid for the whole trip. That got me involved. And then Cleo died, the Cavalier. And so I had to have two more. So I we went to a different breeder, and she had two, same father, different mothers, which sounded cute at the time, but it just meant she's using one dog to get everybody pregnant. You know, but I still, you know, wasn't there. Like, now I'd only rescue uh, Cavaliers, you know. Mm-hmm. So I we each got a dog for the kids, and so now we had the two new dogs, three big dogs, and four cats, because I had two, and the boyfriend moved in, and he had two. Mm. So whether he was a cat person to start, he became a dog person. He wasn't thrilled because of the stigma of the pit bull, mm. but she loved him so much that, you know, she had to grow on him. Right. And so we were there 
in Florida till 2008. And in that time, I was getting more involved with just the transports, paying for the transport and medically fixing the dogs that these people would tell me about. I, I got friends to adopt. And then in 2008, well, then my you know, both labs died in Florida, but at ripe old ages. And so we had the two Cavaliers and we had Nikita, who was about 10 or 11. She had an ACL surgery on her knee, you know, the torn ligament in Florida. We healed her and moved her up here with the two Cavaliers and the cat. There was no, oh, and we had Sweet Pea. We got the third Cavalier because the breeder, was it the, yeah, this time the breeder, had one, uh, re a ruby, a red one, that was older. Hey, ha -ha. That was older, a year old. And, you know, she offered her to me for half the price. So I said, okay. Because my husband bought a $2,500 woodworking, woodcraft machine. And I thought, well, I can get a sweet pea. That was yeah. <laughs> So we left for Massachusetts. We put my house on the market. He had been living up here a year working. I had all the animals. He took his two cats. And within a year, we moved up. We found actually a rental that would let us have all the dogs and cats. And that's when I got involved with Facebook. It was brand new. And I didn't really know what to use it for. You know, the minute I got on, my father had died. And so I worked for him for 10 years here. I'm sitting, I don't even know what to do. So I don't know. I think in those days, you would get on some list and you'd get emails that like went to 50 people, you know, or 100 people. And I would always help with the transport. That was all I knew. I got a feeling over me and it was such a must do that I didn't see any other way to live. Now, I don't want to leave out. In 2005 was Hurricane Katrina, and I was in Florida. It just missed us. We got the next hurricane. But, you know, the devastation in New Orleans, and that's when I first learned about chained dogs, that families chained their dogs up, got out, and thought they'd be able to come back to their dog. Nobody knew how long that was going to go on and that the rescue boats had to come and rescue the dogs and displaced. And, and I started to look in on the web for rescue groups, rescue agencies that I could donate. And while I started with Best Friends, ASPCA, HSUS, I found a small group that I ended up working for. But anyway, I found a small group, Dogs Deserve Better, and they helped chain dogs. So I started to buy t-shirts from them and donate money. Okay. And then, and I would, you know, read whatever they put up. At that time, there was a Yahoo group and I wasn't big on figuring out how to get into the Yahoo group. <laughs> but I did call, I didn't know. But I did call when I was moving in 2008 and asked to be the Massachusetts representative for Dogs Deserve Better. And they said yes. You know, they, they wanted whoever they could. And I could do Connecticut or Massachusetts. But you had to hook into this Yahoo thing to look at, see what mail there was. So finally, they 
just started sending me all the letters about chain dogs hmm. locally. Uh, and then after a while, uh, I would go and see the dog and try and ask for the dog and never really offer to pay because, you know, they're just going to buy another dog or know that this dog is chained, but his, it's for his four year old and comes in. And I would say, oh, and when he comes in, does he go in a cage? Oh, yes. So they went from the chain to the cage. There was no mm-hmm. hanging out in the living room. These things started to drive me crazy. So I became the national representative and rescue coordinator for that group. And so I would get emails from all over the country. So I started with Facebook, finding people that could foster the dog for me while I paid, still paying, not using the group's money, paying to uh, neuter, spay, all the basics. And then I would find a rescue because a dogs deserve better would only take a certain amount in their house and i needed to have my own so i I reached out to some rescues or i adopted out directly and then as time went on you know i was doing everything i mean they had workers there but i had to fly in and teach them how to use martingales and leashes on the dogs that are scared so you have six feet to be able to grab them instead of by the collar Mm. to get them out and that's when they were still rehabbing the dogs you know and training them Uh, by the time i was done there in february of 2016 they had switched directors and they stopped the rehab they were caging dogs because the uh, ceo as she called herself came from a shelter and all she knew was caging dogs. So there was no more rehab. It was in the cage and then outside in the grass. When it was the first director, she had 10 dogs in the house as a pack. This was now two rooms of cages and it was making me a little sick. So I left February 2016, still continuing to do what I did because it was my own money still. Right. And I remember during the year of 2016, I took in $3,000, which I thought was an unbelievable amount of money. Yep. And I was so grateful and I paid tax on it, but it made me realize that I need to become a nonprofit so I'm not doing anything wrong. Right. So I hired, right. And I, I knew it was for me. At first, my husband would say, oh, it's your hobby. And then it was your passion. And then it was my obsession. And then it was my organization. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And he was fine with it, you know, but unless you're with other dog people, you don't want to talk about dogs all the time. Yeah. Right. So I got all that out of the way, you know, before seven o'clock. And <laughs> everyone knew I gave them my home number, an emergency. Or if I was in the middle of a rescue and I needed to talk to the foster or the rescue itself, that would be fine. So December 2016, so we're starting our fifth year of Unchain America. We're on Facebook. I have a website www.unchainamerica there's no ed u-n-c-h-a-i-n america.net and that's for donations and that's to read stories about like i have some stories and i have pictures of a dog that lived in a coffin and you know we got Mm -hmm. him out to rescue all fixed up and adopted you know and then i had three or four rescues then you lose some and then you get some more So I have a pretty nice network 
of Foster's between Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, and I could get wherever I need. I mean, if I needed, I, I, I would find a friend through a friend or have the dog driven. I have a transporter that works with me, a nice, very nice lady, and she doesn't charge more than gas and lunch. You know, it's a one-day trip, and she'll get the dog to the foster. And then I have to find a rescue. So I'm like middle management. Okay. So I know all about the dog and I know every day what's going on and I find the rescue and then Marie transports again. And I, since then, have a transport coordinator, a man who does the volunteer trans, which I was very excited about because he runs such a tight ship. You never have to worry about losing a dog. I mean, you worry, but they know how to hold the leashes around their wrists. They know, and they're so loving to the dogs that uh, dogs that are not that are not normal because they've been chained and ignored and starved and left as a burglar alarm. Yeah. Rather than putting a light bulb that turns on when somebody passes your house, they left. That's the mentality. They left the dog chained. You know, six feet. And always when dogs are chained, there's a dirt area that they run back and forth. And they ha- always end up with very big shoulders from pulling because there's just so far they can go. And then there's pen dogs that are forgotten about. Nobody cleans up poop. They throw the food in with the poop. You know, we get yeah. those dogs out. We've had several dogs in cages just left in the backyard. You know, little dogs, you know, and a lot of abandoned stray dogs in South Carolina. Uh, we've brought up to most of my rescues are in Virginia and I have one in New Jersey, but nothing makes me happier is while I'm in the rescue. I have donors, I have supporters, I have people that believe in what I do. And so if I ask for money for vetting, they'll donate, you know, so it's no longer out of my pocket. Like it was, you know, as I got to this point, it's donors and they, they send supplies and they send money. So then word gets around that I have a good reputation. I don't steal. You know, I do everything straightforward and they get other people and it just keeps growing. We st- At first, when I made the Facebook Unchain America page, I took over, <laughs> I took over the 4,000 friends I had from my Robin Budin page and brought them to Unchain America. And so we now, four years in, have 12,000 likes on Unchain America. That's which, incredible. You know, it's not 100,000, but it's a lot more than it was. And they're active. And sometimes you lose a donor and then you get two more and then mm-hmm. somebody else hears about you. So it's really a, a team effort. And I always make sure to thank everybody because I'm so grateful mm-hmm. for the help because without all the different parts, the village, as they call it, yeah. I wouldn't be able to do what I do, but I know it's what makes me happiest. So Robin, I want to dive into that a little bit because I mean, when we were talking earlier, you were talking about how you, I said, well, did you grow up with this mad passion for animals? Like I did. I wasn't allowed to watch Lassie because I would get too upset. I never watched Old Yeller, Bambi, none of that. Still can't handle it to this day. So I thought perhaps you grew up like that. And I was surprised when you told me, oh, no, no, no. My mother said. No, I just wanted a dog once because they were cute and my friends had them. 
but your parents but were so against it. it, right? You're, you said your mom oh, thought they were smelly and disgusting. Yeah. Dirty, smelly, and disgusting. So, yeah, was never going to have another dog after the one try. And never really thought about it in my teenage years. It wasn't until I got married. You got married. by my first husband. Yeah, that children have to have dogs. And then it evolved because he didn't say there was a number, you know. So I had the Cavaliers, (laughs) but then I wanted chocolate Labradors, you know, because my kids were young and I had energy back then in my 30s and I... 40s and I could walk them a lot, you know, and give them everything they need. Right. I'm and- curious. And I think probably our listeners are curious. At what point did this become, you know, it's so easy to sit there and write a few checks because it makes you feel good that you're doing something for a charity. At what point, because now you're dipping into your pocket a lot and these bills are large bills. At what point did that become, you know, not one and done? You know, it just wasn't one When I left the other organization where I learned a lot, I learned a lot. I learned that you don't take a chain dog and put him in boarding. He's been outside chained. You wait till you find a foster. And I learned a lot of things. When I started my own organization that first year that I took, well, before I started it, when I got 3,000 in donations and I was so excited, but I knew I had to do legally the right thing. Was that your light bulb moment when you got the donations and you said, okay, obviously. No, the light bulb was while I was with the other group. I knew I had to save dogs that were chained up, you know, and and in pens. I didn't add the caged and abandoned until I became my own organization, Unchained Mm -hmm. America. What was that feeling? What was that for you? You know, but it always made me happy to do it. But then when people would back me and tell me, you know, you're unbelievable, you do great stuff, Mm -hmm. those kinds of things really helped me because, you know, I'm humble, I believe in God, I know I'm blessed, and I know that I can't help them all, but I can help a lot. So I do. I help a lot. I'm I'm well over a thousand in the, the four years that have finished, saved in homes, happy. Now, there are a few stories where they're too far gone uh, physically. Right. You know, you have to be euthanized, but that's, you know, one a year. Right. Robin, how do you stay positive? Because I know here in the charity I was involved in that I started, and now I'm helping with a couple of other ones. I got a picture of a dog that was dead for two days, chained up inside its little pen doghouse yeah. thing. And my friend was like, I got to go to city council. I, I, can't listen, happen. How do you stay positive? Uh, glass half full. Glass I look half. at, I get sad with every dog that isn't going to make it. I get sad when they need big surgeries, but I get the money and I get it done Hmm. and then they get well. Mm -hmm. And, but I do glass half full because if I watched every dog that didn't make it or that I couldn't take because my rescues have no room, I also do with Unchained America is we offer my Scooby fund. Scooby was a dog in West Virginia that was chained 11 years. He was blind. He was deaf. He was a German shepherd and he was out in a little dog house 11 years in all the weather. Oh my gosh. Somebody got to me and I have a friend that has a sanctuary in Pennsylvania and she welcomed him. I paid all the the bills. Mm -hmm. I meaning Unchained America. Right. And he lived about three months, but 
it was the first time, you know, he had drops for his eyes, his ears, whatever was wrong. He got his shots. You know, he had a really not, he had to get neutered. He lived through all that. And then one day he was no good. But you knew he was 11 and 11 shitty years, you know, not 11 fun years. And Mm -hmm. so he had three really good months of being loved. Uh, the sanctuary has visitors. They'd sit with him. We weren't sure if his eyes got a little better and he could see shadows because he had no problem getting on the Coranda. He had no problem getting in the doghouse. He was in an, a covered outside pen with three other dogs. And, you know, he was living the life. So Aww. although it was only three months, but I have to say he died happy. That's huge. You know, with care and love and people crying over him and not letting him suffer ever. It's a great thing you do. It's so Thank unselfish. Thank you. I enjoy it. Because you I had. Don't know what else I would do. What? I really yeah. don't. But you could have just been a mom and a wife. Transports. I could have been paying for transports. You could have been, but you also could have been somebody who just, you know, I don't have to work. I can just do my own thing. I can go shopping. I can whatever it is you want to do. Me. But you threw yourself into this. Yeah, I didn't realize it was throwing in because it evolved. Right. But when I finally left that other group, I had enough followers that saw what I did. And I would always sign my comments on their page, Robin Budin, Mm -hmm. because I didn't want them to just think it was the group because I knew I was doing all the work. And I knew if they needed to get in touch with me, they needed to know who to ask for. Right. Always sign. So when I moved over and was new, I brought them all with me. Mm -hmm. So that gave me a base. And then it grows and grows. If you do the right thing and you say yes as often as you can. Yeah. Um, and treat people nice and thank them accordingly every donation. I don't care if it's $5, 500 1000 It's the same big thank you because that's what they can afford. Right. They want to participate. And I used to think, oh, people on disability, I don't want them to give me their money. But people on disability love dogs. And so if they give 5 or $10, who am I to tell them no? It makes them happy. It makes them happy. Yep. So, so I don't say no to anybody. I say thank you. There you go. You just said some magic things that we all, that I definitely agree with. That seems to be a recurring theme is people saying yes. And just going for it and listening to their guts. So what's next for Robin Budin, UnchainAmerica.net? What's next? I think what's next is this is more of the same. I don't want to get, unless I get three or four more rescues that will take my dogs. You know, I pay for everything, all the vetting. If the dog has heartworm, I cover that even while they're in the care of the other rescue. I'm mm-hmm. I, good for my word always. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd like to start getting grants. I got two last year that we didn't apply for. I was thrilled. A pedigree and the city in Virginia has a, a group that just does grants. And because all my rescues are there, maybe they heard of me. They found you. Yeah. But I'd like to find a grant writer, you know, mm-hmm. but so that because the more money I have, the more dogs I can help. Right. So that's really the goal is just expanding only when I can. I don't have any 
Deb, any, uh, I don't know any vet, any money. I pay immediately. I don't want to be one of those rescues that runs up a $10,000 bill. I want to pay. Even if by the time the money's going to come in, I'll use a credit card and pay it right off. Right. Two days before the money's coming in. Mm -hmm. So I just think it's my life, my passion, my love. If I could get my husband not to be upset on a weekend if I have to take a call. And I have to use my dog voice. You can't say, oh, come on, don't, don't do that. Because that doesn't stop the dog. Yeah. Yet we have painters in the house. So every time, even though we're far on the other side of the house, every time they move or do something, I got a big dog, Lulu. She bought, she's 11 and she's a chow German shepherd mix, which I just found out this year. I never knew what she was other than gorgeous. And she's my first senior that can still hear. She can still see. She goes for four house walks instead of four corners. You know, <laughs> we do four houses and back. And I take the other two after that. But it's such a pleasure. At this very moment, I have my daughter's nine-year-old English bulldog. She lives with me. They live with us. I take care of her like my own while my daughter's at work, of course. Then I have my two Cavaliers. One is a barn dog that was bred for about five years. So she was all messed up when she got here. And I had never dealt with a rescue Cavalier. I had only gotten them from breeders. And the mail I have, I asked a breeder that somebody got me in touch with, do you have a dog that you don't want to use for breeding anymore? A male. And she did. She said, he's too hyper. He's too this. He's too that. A house was magnificent. She showed me pictures of him in front of the Christmas tree. But the truth was he slept in the room with the other dogs. Mm -hmm. His teeth, he was four, had like concrete on them. Mm. He needed such a dental. He had his back dew claws, which I've never seen on Cavaliers. And I told her I'm going to do the dew claws when I have his teeth done. She says, you know, I always was worried about them, you know, getting banged up. But that's the difference between a rescuer and a breeder. The breeder does what the breeder has to do, but I have to make sure the dog's 100%. Mm-hmm. And those toes, uh, you know, thumbs hanging off the back of his feet, they get caught on everything. Mm. So he's fine. But also he's not, you know, I never had nutty cavaliers. All the ones that I got came as babies. And the breed is just mellow and calm. But because I rescue, I can't, I can't. So they're here two years and they have quirks, but nothing bad. I mean, they're still wonderful. We love right. them. Robin, thank you so much for spending time with me today and just thank sharing, you sharing your charity. How do you feel about breeders? I think a lot of people want to know. Okay. Some people feel guilty. Like they'll say, oh, Wendy, we got a new puppy. Don't hate me. I went to a breeder. I said, I don't. I don't hate you. They need homes too. Right. But there are breed specific rescues. I always say that too. (laughs) That have exactly what you're looking for, especially puppies, because puppies, you know, are like sponges. They're good unless they had a horrific first 11 weeks and then they might be shy. Mm -hmm. If a person is willing to put in the time, 
in the first few weeks of letting the dog get adjusted. There's Labradors of all colors. They come from North Carolina and South Carolina. There's Poodles, there's Maltese, there's Bichons. There's mixed breeds that are wonderful. Is this because breeders are, why do we have all these dogs? What's happening? No, the breeders, the backyard breeders, maybe, the, and they just, always never fix their dogs. So unless they, they have like all poodles and then they just have poodles and they can charge, I don't know, five, six, seven hundred. And that dog makes the money for the family mm. and they keep breeding over and over. I don't know what age they stop. Sometimes we'll say, can we have the mother? Because they're going to give up the puppies because they don't want to pay for all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And they want to keep the mother. And we say, please let us spay the mother and get her her shot. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a 50, 50, mm -hmm. because at least if they're going to, they love the mother, blah, 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 but she's not fixed and she's outside. So any male smells that. And, yeah. and you get litters of multiple different dogs. You know that you can have more than one father right. with a dog mother. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So sometimes, but we rescue pregnant mothers. We take abandoned puppies, you know, parvo puppies, which is a nightmare unto itself because you want mm -hmm. them to live. And some do, you know, overall, I can't imagine myself at 61, I'll be 62 next month doing anything else. I mean, I wake up thinking dogs, I go to bed thinking what I had to do, what's up for tomorrow, what's going to be waiting for me. And I did an auction this week. I do auctions, you know, like around holidays, Valentine and then Easter. And it's on Unchain America. And people can press the pictures and bid like a real auction. And it lasts a week. Wow. And they know they're giving too much for a Santa Claus that costs $5. And they paid me 25 But they feel good doing it. Right. And I'm thrilled. Right. And it's a nice piece. And so I'm so worried at the packaging part. You know, I make sure every glass gets there without being broken, you know, things like that. But I do auctions to raise money. I do raffles. Sometimes people will donate one item that'll just, you know, Bissell once gave me a vacuum. And that I took in $900 on that. Wow. And then they gave me like a shot bot or something that just for the spot bots and that didn't, and they stopped doing it. They're doing their own dog things, but I have donors that send me large enough things. Like I had donors send me a clock that on every hour you could either put it to Merry Christmas songs or you could put it to regular songs. Oh, so fun. Yeah. So it's for people that like those, you know, grandfather clocks where every hour you're going to hear a song, you know, <laughs> or you could shut that off. But, you know, that was the feature. It was $218 on Amazon, you know, and we took in a nice amount of money for it. So I enjoy everything, except when you do all the work and then the lady says, oh, my neighbor's going to take the dog. Oh. But it's just part of the deal. As long as the dog has a good home. Right. Robin, love your passion. Love what you're doing for the animals. And it's it's really important. And, and I want to just get my website out. www.unchainamerica.net. And yep. you'll hit the donate button. Or on Facebook, there'll be donate button. And on as you look through the posts and even really easy wanna, yeah yeah even if you don't want to donate for that dog you can click that button because it's by the time we get it it's 45 days on that donate button 
Mm-hmm. And let me give my PayPal because that's when you get it the same day. Okay. PayPal is rescue at, and then my name, Robin Budin, R-O-B-I-N-B-U-D-I-N dot com. Perfect. And I'll put yeah. all this in the show notes too, Robin. It's really Thank important. You. And, you know, I've donated to you and I had my charity in the beginning. I called you for some advice and you don't even remember this, but you helped me so much. <laughs> and uh, you were, what I did. you were very generous with your time. You said, well, maybe you should try an auction. Maybe you should try this. Maybe you should try that. And I ended up having a fashion show and all kinds oh, of see? Cool yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, with the dog. Yeah. So we raised a ton of money. So it was great. And, and I um, love helping people. You know, I obviously. don't keep it all for myself. You know, if somebody calls and has a question, I'll answer. And I even new adopters, I tell them, you can call me a hundred times in the same day with the same question. And I will never be bothered. I will. Oh, and you can call a week later with another question. You can call me the life of the dog. I'm always happy to help. You are a true angel and a blessing. You are a blessing to the souls with no voice. Yes. And thank you. And I know I'm blessed and I know I'll rather go over the rainbow bridge than anywhere else. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. Uh, My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening today. I hope that something you heard made you smile, made you think and made you feel. If these incredible stories empowered you, awakened you, or left you feeling inspired, make sure to share with a friend and write us a review on iTunes so we can continue to change lives through this content. Make sure you tag us while you're listening on our Facebook group, My Second Wind, or hit the link in the show notes to join the conversation. Until next time, go ahead and breathe in your second wind.